Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. And read you the section and then we'll begin to unpack it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Like I said before we turn the recording on, uh, you are, we're not going to get all this covered. We're not going to be able to see all this tonight. But let's begin to take a look at, at some of the things that Paul lays out here. I'm going to ask you a question as we start off. What is the this that Paul refers to in verse 5? He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth. Any idea what the this is? It's actually very simple. It's the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's what he's talking about. The reason I bring that out is, is we're in the middle of a sentence. And if you've ever studied Paul's writings, you'll know that he was the master of the run-on sentence. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I have a, a lot in common with Paul. Whenever I write anything, I love commas. Because I think of this, oh, comment, and this, and getting and and Paul writes that way a lot. And so if you're going to try to break Paul down verse by verse, you're going to have a hard time figuring out where to start. And he's been in the middle. We already saw last week at how he thanked God for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints and the hope that they had. And we ended up last time with the faith, hope and love and how the greatest of these is love, because uh, uh, love is what started everything. Love is what created the universe. Love is what's going to be the center of all things for eternity. And faith and hope, they remain at the present. But in heaven, there's no need for faith because there'll be sight. And there's no need for hope because who hopes, as it says in Romans chapter eight, for what he already has. It'll be a reality. Faith and hope will go away in eternity but love will continue. And that's why it's the greatest of all things. But then he says also that their hope that laid up for them in heaven was what they had uh, heard about before in the word of truth in the gospel. And we're going to break that down. But I want to just real quickly kind of remind you of some of the things about this hope laid up for us in heaven. Go to Romans chapter 5. Put a bookmark here in Colossians 1 and go to Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? The hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the certainty of what is to come. And that's why this word hope causes some confusion to some people, because a lot of times in our life we use the word hope, but we don't know what's going to happen next. I hope I don't hit any red lights on the way to work. I hope my boss is in a good mood. And we use those words, meaning we don't know what the result is going to be. But that's not what the Bible word hope means. The Bible word hope means it's a, an expectation of a future thing, but it's known that it's coming. So you're hoping, but you also know that it'll be there. And so it's a future expectation, yet it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a reality. It's a certainty. All right. And so we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because it is not yet fully reveal, revealed or realized, but it is coming. Go to first Peter chapter one. Go to first Peter chapter one, verses three through five. In first Peter chapter one, verses three through five, it says, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and in unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, you've heard me say this before. I want to just remind you of it. When the Bible uses the word salvation, it's thinking of the whole aspect of salvation. We have a tendency to hear the word salvation and we only think about the moment we trusted Christ. 
Remember, salvation has three parts. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. You've heard me ask you this question. Are you being saved? Have you been saved? Or will you be saved? Yes, I have been saved, yet I am being saved. And one day salvation will come with Jesus when he comes again. It will be all realized in the glory. And, and that's what we have a hope of, what to come. We have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a love for the brothers that comes because of our receiving his love as we looked at last week. But on top of that, hopefully you guys aren't sitting around saying, I hope I go to heaven in the wrong way of using the word hope. You know what's amazing is how many people I've run into over the years in churches who when I ask them if they died, would they go to heaven? They say, I hope so, but they don't mean it in the biblical way. And folks, I just hope there's nobody here that's here tonight or listening on the recording that doesn't understand that we can know that we have eternal life. And that one of the ways that we know we have eternal life, the Bible says, is that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for their adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're, how many of you are homesick for heaven? Amen. All right, let me ask you another question. Hands down. How many of you have ever been to heaven that just raised your hand? How can you be homesick for a place you've never been? Because of the Spirit of God within you. And that's where this hope is coming from. It's not something you've read about. It's not just something that someone told you about. And one day, we'll be, folks, something else is going on within you. The Spirit of God within you is confirming that you're His. And He is the one who's stirring up this longing. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for this glory to come. Oh, and what does it say here in 1 Peter? It's undefiled. It won't fade. It won't spoil. And where is it being kept? In heaven, by us, for us, who are those of us who are shielded by God's power until the revelation or the time when he comes to bring us to him. Folks, this is what he talked about. Let me give you one more. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the hope that they, he was referring to in the this in that passage in Colossians 1. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 12 through 19. Creation is. Creation is waiting, yes. Waiting for us to be revealed because when we get our new bodies in the rapture, creation knows they're next. Knows that they're next during the tribulation period as he gets the land back. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. Look at what it says here. And if I turn to 1 Corinthians 15, it would probably speed things up. All right. Look at verses 12 through 19. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? As though there were, by the way, people that believe that, the Sadducees especially. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But now, I got to tell you, did you catch what he just said? There are people in this world that are only hoping in this life. Aren't they? They're to be most pitied. We need to share with them the good news. Now, again, whether they respond to it or not, that's between them and God. But we need to be making sure that they understand the truth. Folks, do not worry how they're going to react to it. Do not worry what their response is going to be. God says most likely it'll be bad. But don't be afraid to just tell people the truth and leave the results to God. Leave the results to God. But our hope is a certain thing. And if only in this life we have hope, man... <laughs> That would really, really stink. I don't know how else to say it. That would really, really stink because, as you're about to see a little bit later in our study, I don't want my best life now. Even though some famous preacher says that that's what we can have. All right, let me go back to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. He says in the second part of verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth. What is the word of truth? Does anybody know? Oh, keep reading. It's right there. The answer is right there. The, in the word of truth, the gospel. Here's what I'm going to do for a little bit right now is I'm going to take some time to show you from the scriptures 
what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. This is important for us because a lot of us, we hear the word gospel and we kind of roughly know what it is, but a lot of Christians really don't know what the gospel is. And you'll be surprised, at, for some of you, what is not a part of the gospel and what is. All right, so let's just take a look at it. Go to Romans chapter 1. Let's take a look at this thing called the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And it's important because as we put on our armor, we put on the preparation of the gospel. Of the gospel of peace, right. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here we're starting to see a little bit laid out to us of what the gospel is. Paul says that he was a servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. And he talked about concerning, it's concerning who? The gospel concerns who? Jesus, God's son. All right. He was descended from David according to the flesh, but he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. All right, let's keep reading. We're going to just kind of lay a foundation and we'll put it all together in a little bit. Go to Romans. We're in still Romans 1. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says in Romans 1 verses 16 and 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here we see a little bit more about the gospel. Paul, first of all, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. It's, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that's a big key of the gospel. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 15. You were just there. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verses 1 through 4. And to be honest with you, of all the passages that uh, we're going to look at, I would say that this is one of the most key when it, to when it comes to looking at what the gospel actually is. And most likely, what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, might have been like a, a semi-creed, if you will, of the early church. That this was something that they would say to remind themselves of what the truth was. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of what? The gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. All right, and then it goes on and talks about who else who appeared to after that. But look closely at what he says here. Is I'm going to remind you of what the gospel is. And now we're going to start to see the gospel laid out even more specifically. We've already seen that it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He's not ashamed of it. And, but look at what he says. That here's, here's the gospel, folks. That Jesus died according to the scriptures, was raised, and raised according to the scriptures. All right, that's some key parts to it. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Now he's, we see another aspect that when you believed the gospel, when you believed the word of truth, this gospel of your salvation, having believed, what happened at the moment you believed? You were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, which is a what? A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now we got to stop. How come Paul then, if he's saying here that when we believe, we receive the Spirit to confirm that we're saved and we're sealed by the Spirit, how come he said, if you hold on to my teachings in the last section we were just in, and unless you believed in vain? Why did Paul say that there'd be an if, if here he's saying, if we believe, there's no if? Because it says until. Very good. Very good. The Bible shows that one of the true evidences of real salvation is going to be seen over time. The Bible, as Jesus taught, the seed fell on the hard path and they didn't even respond. 
The birds came and took it away. The seed fell on the rocky soil, sprung up, sure looked like salvation, but what happened? Trouble came, but because it had no root, wasn't real salvation. You know, from John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, the scripture says that when the people saw the miraculous signs Jesus did, they believed in his name. Verse 24 says, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. He knew all men. He didn't need man to testify about man. He knew their hearts. There are those who say, I believe. But God knows whether or not you really do. And God will only confirm when he knows there's true, what the Greek word is apostheo, which is a saving faith, a real belief. And God knows whether or not the faith is real. The Bible says the seed fell on the thorny soil and sprung up, sure looked like salvation, but what? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked it and it had no fruit. Oh, by the way, if you're willing to take a step back, you'll see this happen as Jesus was on the earth. In John chapter 6, we see him say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me, Right? And upon hearing this, what was the reaction of many of his disciples? Yeah, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they went away. They left. They were his disciples. They were following him. But when things got a little hard, confusing, disappointing maybe, they went away because they really didn't have faith. We also see another example of the thorny soil in a man named Judas. Why did Judas, why did Judas go away? Bob says he never was one of them. It wasn't that he had salvation and lost it. He never had. Oh, he claimed he did. He walked with Jesus. But the Bible shows us that there were two issues that we can see if you look at Judas's life. He really believed Jesus was going to be the physical ruler now. And as he got closer and closer to the end and closer and closer to the cross, Judas started to realize he really means this death thing. I didn't sign up for this. And he sold him for money. The deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this world choked it. Why? Because it didn't have real root. Folks, I'll be honest with you. Every single one of us are going to go through times in our walks with the Lord where we're going to question his goodness. There are going to be times we don't understand why. There's going to be times we prayed and we asked and he said no. And there are going to be times that we don't understand why do we keep going? Because the Bible says we have real faith that the Lord understood. He gave us and he's holding on to us. Oh, every one of us are tempted a little bit by the cares of this world and deceitfulness of wealth. You can pretend that you're not. But folks, let's be honest. How many of you have looked at your neighbor's car and thought that's a nicer car than mine? <laughs> we all have it a little bit, don't we? But how often do we have to be reminded that we know it's not about this life, it's the one to come. And folks, let me just tell you, the reason he says, unless you've believed in vain, is not because there are those who believed and now they're not saved. No, the believing in vain is those who claim to have something that never really was there. And over time, it will become evident. Some of you have actually walked away from the Lord for a time or two, in, or, or a year or two, or a day or two in your walk with the Lord. Why are you here? Why are you here? Because you know that deep down, you couldn't go anywhere. Because he's holding on you. As, Paul, as Peter said, when Jesus turned after those bunch of people left and he said, you guys are free to go too. Peter said, where else would we go? Where else would we go? And some of you might have for a time stopped walking with the Lord. But because of the reality of your salvation, because of the fact that he's been holding on to you, you're here because of him. Because of him. Um, go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this is key here. Look closely. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is who? Lord. What are you saying when you say Jesus is Lord? He's in charge. Keep going. What is, there's a lot that you say when you say Jesus is Lord. What else are you saying? You're saying that he's God. 
Folks, you got to understand, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying he's God. Bingo. Not son of God, not an emanation from God. He's God himself. Vance Havner was a, a, a wonderful man who preached for many, many years across this country. Started preaching when he was like 12 or 13 years old and preached into his 80s. And he was a revival preacher, but he, like me, had a heart for the church to be revived. He, he wasn't an evangelist per se, but he preached to the church. And later on in his life, near the end of his life, he came to this point where he realized instead of giving an invitation for those who want to come and receive Jesus as their Savior and another invitation for those that want to come and be baptized and another invitation for those who want to join the church, he stopped doing all these because he used to, he goes for years, I would say, okay, it's invitation time. If you want to come and be saved, come and be saved. If you want to join the church, come and join the church. If you want to be baptized, come and be baptized. And he goes, I kept giving all these different invitations. He said, I stopped doing that. And I started saying, for anyone that wants to declare Jesus as Lord, come. He said, because if you are willing to declare him as Lord, and in doing so, you're receiving him as your Savior, that is what it means to, de to, to declare him as Lord. And you come and trust him as your Savior. If you're supposed to be baptized in the Spirit of God, has been showing you you're supposed to be baptized, and his word's been showing you that you're supposed to be baptized. If you're saying Jesus is Lord, you'll come forward and be baptized. If you are supposed to be a part of this local congregation, because the Spirit of God has told you to covenant with these people for a period of time for the purposes of God, if you say Jesus Jesus is Lord, you'll come and do what he's telling you to do. Whatever Jesus is Lord means to you as the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, do what he said. And he said, I stopped saying all these invitations. I said, whoever wants to declare him Lord, come. And he showed them what that looked like. I think that's kind of cool. Isn't that kind of cool? But if you could confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Has anybody told me what the gospel is yet? Can anybody tell me what the gospel is? It's very simple. It's very simple. I'm going to lay out for you what the gospel is, and then I'm going to show you what the gospel isn't, and then we're going to come to our final conclusion. But the gospel is this. God himself took on human form and lived in this world as a man, Jesus. And he lived without sin. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And for all who will believe in him and receive his offer of forgiveness, you'll be saved. That's the gospel. Listen closely to what the gospel is not. The gospel is not about having your best life now. By the way, what did Jesus say? In this world, you'll have trouble and all of that. What did he say? Foxes have holes, birds there have nests. Son of man has no way to lay his head. Uh, let me go bury my father. And then what, what the guy was saying was, let me bury my father and then I'll follow you. It wasn't like, hey, my dad just died and we haven't put him in the ground. He was simply saying, look, as soon as my dad dies, I'll come and be your disciple. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. By the way, Jesus also said, those of you who are going to go build a tower, aren't you going to take the time to kind of examine whether or not you're able to finish it before you start? If you're going to go into a battle against an army, whether or not you have enough with your number of people to... He said in the same way, you better examine whether or not you're really seriously ready to sign up. Because it's one thing to say, Lord, I believe in you, if you're saying I believe in you because you're going to fix my life and give me a good life. I dealt when I was pastor in Chicago with this man who got saved and on the very next day had a nervous breakdown. And when he finally got out of the hospital, he came back to the church and he was mad at God. He's like, I trusted him as my savior. And the very next day I had a nervous breakdown. Where was he? And I said, have you ever thought about the fact what would have been like to go through the nervous breakdown if he wasn't already inside of you? He wasn't there to walk you. Oh, it was now that you say that I realized all he did and what he was walking me through as he was in me in the hospital. Yeah, you just assumed that if you follow Jesus, everything else is going to work out. Folks, don't listen to the preachers that tell you that. The gospel is not have your best life now. The gospel is not Jesus came to be your best friend. We're declaring him as what? Lord. Lord. Now, the cool news is he does call us friends. He even says in John 15, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. But it's not about friendship with Christ is the gospel. It is about his lordship. He's God. Oh, it's also, I'm going to say it in a way that might not make sense to you, but I'll clarify it. The gospel is not sacramental. In other words, it's not something you have to do. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 17 and 18. 
Now, I'm and showing you this, I'm not saying that baptism is not important because the Bible is very clear that baptism is important. It's one of the two things that the Lord commands us to do. But you're about to see that baptism is not a part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Paul says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And, and, and look at what he says here. And I'll get to 18 in a second. In the verses prior to that, he's, he's, he's talking about how all these people are all following people. And I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow. And he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Actually, I did baptize this one guy in this household. But besides that, because God didn't send me to baptize, he sent me to preach what? Gospel. Preach the gospel. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like you've heard me say before, you don't need to be baptized in order to be saved. Because if you have to be baptized in order to be saved, baptism has to be a part of the gospel. Baptism is not a part of the gospel. Now, for those of us who have declared him as Lord, if his word says be baptized, and the Lord says, and the Bible says, and often as you take the Lord's Supper, the two main commands are baptism and the Lord's Supper, but it's not a part of the gospel. Anybody tries to say you're not saved if you haven't been baptized, they're making baptism a part of the gospel. Baptism is not a part of the gospel. Thief on the cross. Exactly. Baptism is not a part of the gospel. All right. It is also, but God, the gospel is not putting your trust in the church rather than in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, a lot of you might have grown up in a Roman Catholic denomination and, and, and background, and a lot of you, you probably remember, used to always say, I'm okay, I'm Catholic, or I'm okay, I'm Baptist, I'm okay. And a lot of people think they're okay because of their church affiliation. That's not the gospel, folks. The gospel is, according to the scriptures, Jesus, who was God himself, took on human form. He lived without sin. He was crucified in our place. He was buried. He rose from the dead by his own power, and he offers salvation to all who will believe that he is God and that he rose from the dead, and he gives eternal life to whoever believes. Yes, ma'am. In Matthew, it says, except you be born of the water and the spirit, you cannot That's correct. That water is not baptism. When they say, unless you be born of the water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, that water is not baptism. It's actually, there are two main issues uh, or, or, or views of what it means. It could just simply mean your physical birth, because you know when a woman's water breaks, you know. But I, I always be careful about that, because I believe that babies that aren't born, who are conceived, I believe they're going to heaven too. So we have to be real careful that we don't make it physical birth kind of a deal. But it could also just simply be talking about the washing of the water of the word. You know, Jesus says very clearly, sanctify by your truth. Your word is truth. He also goes on and says, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and cleanse her with the washing of water through the word. Though the water could simply be referring to the, to the, the word of God and the spirit of God. Unless you receive the word of God and the spirit of God, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Right. But he said water and the spirit, like they're two different things. So, but, he, but yes. Throughout, throughout all the scripture, there's constantly that um, comparison of the physical and the spiritual, the physical and the spiritual. Right. You know, mm -hmm. the difference between yep. Jacob and Israel. And I would agree with that, that, like I said, but we have to be real careful to say, because as we know, those babies who were conceived who didn't make it full term to birth, we know the Bible teaches that they're in heaven. They, their, their water never broke, you know, in that sense. So we have to be, but if I, my understanding of it is the word and the spirit. And you look through it, you know, you have to believe in the word of God. It's the word of God and faith comes without hearing and hearing by the word of God. I see it as the word of God and the spirit. That's how I see it. But that's a great question, though. I'm glad you brought that up. But at the same time, on that same point, Taking it into the context of the conversation mm -hmm. that he was having. With he God. says, "Do I go back into my mother's womb?" Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, it it, mean, it, it could gotta, it could be possibly referring to be it could again. be refer, referring to that. But again, we have to be careful though, because then people say, "Well, what if they weren't born?" You know what I'm saying? So I would agree. Like I say, there's those different views on that. I lean toward that it's referring to the Word and the Spirit. Again, I'm not infallible. That's why everything I say to you, I remind you, you have to go and check what you believe according to the word. And don't say I believe it because Jim believes it. That won't do good for you. Ask my wife. She lives with me. Standing up there and say Jim says and God says you've been with him for 25 years and you still have the nerve to think Jim says. You know, 
Go back to Colossians chapter 1. By the way, the gospel is not something you do. The gospel is something you receive. It's you receive by faith. Look at what Paul says, though. I want to get into something kind of deep tonight, and this will probably keep us from getting any further than this discussion right here. Because I'm going to show you some deep concept when it comes to God's work of salvation. And I'm also going to throw you a massive curveball where I can almost show if I was a jerk, I could try to convince you tonight that Paul contradicted himself. But by the time we're all done, you'll find out I'm not a jerk and he didn't contradict himself. I hope you'll find that I'm not a jerk. Um, Look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter one. Look at what he says again in in, in the second part of verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. we got to stop for a second. He says the gospel is and has been spreading all over the globe. Did you hear that? Paul wrote that how long ago? That's 2,000 years ago, roughly, right? He said that uh, this gospel in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. But a lot of us have been taught that once the gospel spread to the whole world, then the end will come, right? Haven't we been taught that? Because Jesus in Matthew, well, go look there real quick. Go to Matthew 24. Look at verse 14. Let me just, the reason I want to do this is I want to show you the importance of using the whole of Scripture to interpret Scripture. Because you can take one verse and you can build a doctrine and you can convince people of things that don't line up with the whole of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus makes this statement. And this, verse 14, in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And we have heard preachers for years say, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. As if the gospel hasn't been preached to the whole world, I'm going to actually show you two things tonight. I'm going to show you exactly what Jesus was referring to here in just a second. But I'm also going to show you that in many places in the Bible, the Bible actually already says that the gospel has been preached to the whole world. Well, the heavens declare it for it. You're right. You're jumping ahead. Hang on. Hold on to that. Go to Revelation. Go to Revelation first, chapter 14, and look at verses 6 and 7. I believe without question that what Jesus is referring to here in Matthew 24 is what happens at the end of the tribulation in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. In Revelation 14, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. All right. So this angel now flies at the end of the tribulation period in the midair and presents the gospel to the whole world. I think if you look at the context of Matthew 24, and if you've heard me teach on this before, Jesus wasn't referring to the church. We were trying to read the church into Matthew 24 a lot. It isn't until the very end that we're even possibly mentioned. In the beginning period here, he's talking to the nation of Israel that's going to be around at the time after the rapture when the tribulation begins, and he gives the signs of his coming in the end of the age. And remember how we've already looked at the fact that he said, pray that your flight doesn't take place on the Sabbath. He wouldn't say that to the church because Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and following, which we'll get to sometime, maybe next year. But uh, we, we'll see that it says, don't let anyone judge you and without you keep a new moon festival or Sabbath day. For those are a shadow of what is to come. The substance has been found in Christ. Is, is the church demanded to keep a Sabbath day? No. no. At the same time, he also said, pray that your flight doesn't take place in the winter. Well, guess what? If he's talking to the church, it's going to be winter somewhere. That's kind of like praying the hurricane onto some other town. If God's telling the church to pray that the, his return doesn't happen in the winter... Lord, may it, be, may, it, may it be summer here and winter in Australia when you come back, you know. You're praying that it would happen to somebody else, not you. He wasn't talking to the church. He's talking to the nation of Israel. And this gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. You see in the book of Revelation, God's already shown us when that happens. But on top of that, look at what, again, what Paul says there in Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to lay it out for you some more. He says uh, in verse 5 again, Uh, He says, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. All right, now let's, let's keep going. Go to Luke 13. 
Luke 13. Jesus said a while back in one of his parables of how much the gospel is going to start small and it was just going to increase tremendously in Luke 13. Look at verses 18 through 21. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made their nest in its branches. And he again said to them, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Here he says it's going to start small and it's going to increase and fill the whole thing. Right now, let me go take We're not going to turn there. But if you want to write it down, look at it later on. Matthew 16, verses 18, uh, 13 through 18. Jesus says to them, who do, son of, who do people say that the son of man is? And they listed all those people. And they said, well, who do you say that I am? Jesus said, I mean, sorry, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, and Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Johnson. Remember, son of, yeah. son of John. I just kind of keep reminding you of that. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And this is what he says. And I say you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. By the way, when he said you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, he wasn't saying he built it on Peter. Because if you actually do the study in the Greek, you'll realize when he says you are Peter, he says that in the masculine. But he says upon this rock I will build my church. That word rock is in the feminine, so it can't be referring to Peter. The rock is his profession of his faith. Folks, what is the gospel? You, the word's near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel is this. God has already paid for your sins. He's already died for your sins. He's already risen from the dead by his own power. He is taking care of it. You need to believe it. Believe that Jesus is God and he's the only way, the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And believe that he rose from the dead and that if you trust him, he will give you eternal life. That's the gospel. And when you truly believe that and you say, Lord, I don't even understand how it all works. I to this day don't fully understand it. But this much I believe there's no other game in town. You have the words of eternal life. I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe it. And I, if I could believe it anymore, I would. And you said, if I believe you give me eternal life, the Bible says for those who believe he will seal you with his spirit, confirming that you're his. And he holds on to you. And what he starts, he'll finish we don't need to worry about if you're saved or not. that's the spirit of God's going to. I'm not one of these preachers going to spend my time trying to make you wonder if you're saved. There's a big difference between doubting your salvation and knowing you're lost. And if you're lost, the spirit of God will show you that he will show you that Satan tries to get you to question whether or not you're saved. This is not an issue of questioning whether or not you're saved. If you're lost, the spirit of God will show you because he wants you to be saved. He wants you to believe. Colossians chapter 1, we already read here in verses 21 through 23. It is growing. It's, it's been preached in the whole world and it's growing. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Yeah, now we see in a mirror dimly, but pretty soon face to face. And that'll be awesome. But now here's the deal. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I want you to look at verses 21 through 23. Paul makes a statement that I had never really seen before. And to be honest with you, when I saw this statement in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23... It made me have to really dig into my Bible for a long time. I wrestled over this passage for two hours as I prepared for this. And I only told you that so you'd be impressed with me. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Look at what it says. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Whoa. Did you catch that? He said, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven. Well, here's my curveball. And I'm going to answer, deal with how to hit, tell you how to hit the curveball in just a second. But here's my curveball. If Paul here says that the gospel has already been preached in all creation under heaven, why does Paul say what he says in Romans chapter 15, verses 20 and 21? Look what Paul says at the end of his book to the Romans. In Romans 15, verses 20 and 21, he says in verse 20 of Romans 15, And thus I make it my ambition... 
to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul said, my ambition is not to preach the gospel where it's already been preached and people have responded. I want to preach the gospel where they haven't responded or haven't heard. But wait a minute, Paul, you're the one that said that the gospel's already been preached in all creation. How could, you're out of a job. Now, again, <laughs> jerk, <laughs> I heard my first one. Very nice. But actually, this stuff is good. You know what I love about God and I love about his word? God doesn't mind you asking questions. God doesn't mind you looking under his bed or in his closets. God doesn't mind you saying, wait a minute. <laughs> you just said the gospel has been preached in all creation. Yet you also said, Paul, that you want to preach it where it hasn't been preached. Hello? I'll take the example of, well, in Romans where it says men are blameless. That's where we're going to go. We're going to, you're going to do that. Mars Hill. Yep. We're actually going to lay it all out for you. And what you just said is a big part of it. All right. First of all, let's go to Romans 10. And verses 14 through 21. I'm going to give you tonight a bunch of scriptures on this topic, more than you've ever heard me reference in this area, because I want you to be able to look at them yourself. I don't want you to take what Jim's about to say to you as, well, that's the way it is. I want you to wrestle with it yourself. But listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. And I'm going to make a statement to you that I think I can back up. This is probably one of the most misunderstood passages of scripture in the whole Bible. This has been one of the most misused and misquoted passages of scripture in the whole Bible. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, look at what it says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, it says, I will, Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation and with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is said, is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, let me just stop you real quick and help you understand. This passage that I just read, especially those first verses, has been used by uh, groups for years to convince people that we need to get the world to the whole, because how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And in and of itself, that is po possibly true. I'm going to put it to you in that way. Let me, I'll clarify that in a second. But actually, in the context here, Paul has been, if you've looked at this whole section, he has been preaching the gospel from the beginning of Romans 1 all the way through. He's been laying it all, how all are guilty under sin, Jew and Gentile, how salvation is not through obeying the law, but through the law we become conscious of sin. But a righteousness from God, which the law and the prophets testify to, has been clearly seen through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's been laying this all out. And when he says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? Let me paraphrase what Paul saying to you in the context here. He's saying to the Jews, God would never expect you to believe something he hadn't already told you. And if you look at the context, he then answers his own question. Did they hear? Of course they did. His words gone out into all the earth. And God has said to Israel, all day long I've held out my arms to a disobedient and stubborn and obstinate people. What Paul's saying here is, is everything I've been laying out to you, God's already said. That's why he quotes from Moses and he quotes from the Old Testament. He's simply saying, look, God would never expect you to believe something you haven't already heard. So when Paul says his gospel has gone out already and been preached to all creation, it's true. Yet... We're not to sit back and say, well, then it's already been preached. No, and I'll see why he wants to preach. I'm going to show you in a second. Even though the gospel has been preached to all creation, Paul is not wrong in saying, I want to preach it where it hasn't been preached yet. Stick with me. All right. Ah, you're getting somewhere, Chris. There's a difference between hearing and believing, but there's also more to that as well. Let me stick. If you stick with me, you're close. Hang on to that. All right. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you don't have to turn there. Remember, it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be what? You'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So again, we put that one in Matthew 24 and we have said, well, as soon as the gospel gets to the whole world, then the end will come. No, go to Acts chapter two, verse five. We all can quote Acts one, verse eight, but very few of us can quote Acts chapter two, verse five. In Acts chapter two, verse five, it says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from where? Every nation under heaven. When Peter preached the gospel there in Jerusalem, had God brought devout believing Jews from every nation, at least believers in God, from every nation to hear the gospel? Oh, folks, you've got a bigger God than we think. It's not just that it started and eventually it will go when the apostles spread it. God had already brought believing Jews from every nation on the earth there to Jerusalem to hear it. He's getting his stuff done. Well, exactly. Who talked to Job? Who, all the way through. Let me look, and this is what you were saying. We are not going to take the time to turn there. But if you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, the Bible's very, very clear that God is using creation to reveal himself and to preach who he is. His divine nature, his eternal qualities have been clearly seen through what has been made so that all men are without excuse. Oh, it goes on in Romans chapter 2 and says, even if they've never heard God's law, he wrote his law on our hearts. And he even goes on and says that God will judge all men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Folks, stop sitting around. What about those who have never heard? There's no such thing as those who have never heard. God reveals himself to all. Now, some, the Bible teaches us, receive more light than others. That's why it'll be easier in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. But at the same time, the Bible is very clear that his gospel has been preached all along through creation, through the Spirit of God, convincing men of their sin. Right now in parts of the world where we can't get missionaries because the government won't allow it, God's using dreams. And you say, well, I don't know about that stuff. Read the book of Job. Amen. Job, God says it there in Job chapter 33. He said God speaks one way and now another, and sometimes in dreams in the middle of the night. God will use many ways to get his message out. Folks, remember what you've heard me say before. Mordecai says to Esther, he says, if you don't speak on behalf of the Jews to the king, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from somewhere else. Jesus said, if they don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. God's going to get his stuff done. He couldn't write the end of the book if he didn't already know how it was all going to play out. The issue is not, what are we going to do? How are we going to get the world out to them? God's doing it, but... What if you've been set aside for such a time as this? And like you were saying, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. You go back and look at John 6, verses 44 and 45. It says that no one can come to the Father unless what? The Spirit draws them, and I'll raise them up the last day. As it says in the prophets, they what? They all will be taught by God. Whoever what? Listens, comes to me. You'll do raise teenagers. You know there's a big difference between them hearing you and listening to you, correct? Children in general. Husbands and wives. <laughs> Listen closely. Let me, let, me show you, let me show you something else along this line that you haven't brought out as well. Let's say that the gospel is preached in all of Satellite Beach. And Jesus tarries his coming. What about the next generation that's being born in Satellite Beach? See, the gospel can be preached in an area... Yet at the same time, the gospel needs still to go to that area. You ever thought about that? Are there not places in the world where the gospel at one time was just flourishing? And now crickets like England and other parts of the world that at one time God was doing mighty things. His word's been preached to the whole world, folks. He's getting his stuff done. It's being preached to all creation. Yet there are still places where God wants to send us to go bring the message. And he has his reasons why. It's not because we haven't gotten there. I don't like the term unreached people groups. Because in essence, we're saying God's not using creation to reach them anymore. I'm not, I have no problem with saying there might be some people that God wants to send the missionaries over there to. And we need to do that when he's doing that. But be careful of thinking, if we don't do it, it won't get done. You got a bigger God than that. Yes, ma'am. Well, Jesus even had to open the eyes of his disciples' hearts in order for them to understand. And he was standing in front of them. That's right. Talking to them all the time. They, some of them didn't catch it until the fourth, fifth, or sixth, seventh time it was preached. 
Now let's go back to what Paul said though as well. This is very important. Go back to Romans 15. I want you to see something that you might not have really caught there because it was too busy dealing with the curveball. Romans 15, verses 20 and 21. Look at what Paul says here. He says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. By the way, when you study scripture, my prayer is that you'll know the word enough that when you read something, the spirit can bring to your mind another part where that same passage or same phrase is being used. Can anybody remember a place in the Bible where Paul talks about building on someone else's foundation? Anybody? I know it's in there. That's good. That's the Hebrew writer said that it's written somewhere. It's first Corinthians chapter three. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Like I say, God's wired my brain like the Google search, but I had one preacher of New Orleans always said, a short pencil is better than a long memory. So write this down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verses 5 through 11. Remember, at this time, Paul's dealing with the fact that this church is dividing themselves over who they think is the best preacher. And I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and so on. What then is Apollos, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 3? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me... Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Now let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and talks about the wood, hay, and stubble, and so on. Listen to what he said. Paul, when he says, I make it my ambition to preach where the Christ hasn't been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, Paul said, I'm an evangelist. My calling... My gifting is, my passion is to preach the gospel where people haven't heard the gospel and begin this process of sowing seed. When they respond, God's going to send the Apollos in and the others to come and to water. Remember Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Folks, listen to what he's saying. Some of these guys, Paul says, I'm not a pastor. Did you catch that? My heart is the heart of an evangelist. There are going to be others who are the pastor teachers who are going to come and build on the foundation already been laid. I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. I want to be the one who's laying the foundation of preaching the gospel where they haven't heard. Go ahead. Um, just like reading the Bible. Yeah, uh -huh. read the same thing over and get something totally different. Right. And that's the whole point. When Paul said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel lest, where it hadn't been, Christ hadn't been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He said, I want to go where they haven't heard it yet. Has the gospel been preached to the whole world? Yes, in many different ways. That doesn't mean that we're not to still share it because God uses the foolishness of preaching. But don't think that if you don't preach, they ain't going to hear. Yet at the same time, you're going to miss out on reward if God wanted to use you. And if, he does, if you don't let him, he'll use somebody else. Exactly. Well, there's so many different levels, and that's why some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers. Folks, I've been trying to say this for years. I'm not an evangelist. I've had people get mad at me. You didn't give an altar call. Well, that wasn't the purpose of the lesson that I was teaching there. I was teaching discipling and helping Christians grow in their walk with the Lord. Yes, there might be people that are there that don't know Christ, but you know what? I believe God's real big. And as I preach the word, you hear the gospel. I preach the gospel, but at the same time, there are those who plant, there are others who water, there are others who harvest. Go to John chapter 4. Yes, sir, go ahead. Oh, yes, that's a part of it as well. It's a part of it as well. I'm going to the Gentiles. You got it. In the full context of where he's going, that's exactly what he's doing. In John chapter 4, John chapter 4, start in verse 34. This is, remember, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. The guys had gone into town to buy food. 
And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white, white or ripe for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You realize God's using lots of different people, lots of different ways, lots of different things. Stop trying to think it's all up to you and you got to get them from the point where you explain the gospel to them, praying the prayer. Sometimes God does it that way. If they've never heard the word of God or they've never had anybody share with them and you explain it to them, they come to faith. But usually it's a process of the spirit of God tilling the soil, breaking up the fallow ground, as it says in the book of Jeremiah, and the spirit of God getting the rocks and the thorns out of the soil so they'd be good soil to receive the seed. Because actually, how can the seed fall on good soil if the Bible says there's no good soil? There's no unrighteous, not even one. There's no good soil. Oh, but the Spirit of God is the one who prepares the heart. And he gets the soil ready to receive the word. Where to scatter it? Well, you're wasting seed when you throw it on the path. Jesus didn't seem to be bothered by it. Jesus didn't seem to be bothered by it. You're wasting seed when you throw it on the rocky soil. Jesus didn't seem to be bothered by it. He just said, that's God's work. Just go. Be Let's be honest, folks. We try to wrestle over predestination, free will, and Calvinism, and Arminianism, and we try to get in our little groups to figure out how God does this salvation. Can anybody tr truly tell me how? I've been preaching for 30 years, and all I know is Jesus is God, and he lived in as a human being, 100% man, 100% God, and he lived without sin, and he was punished in the place of all man's sin. And he was buried and he rose from the dead by his own power and he will give eternal life to whoever will believe the gospel. That's the gospel. Oh, God's going to use the power of the gospel to do a whole lot in your life after that. Well, the gospel is more in the sense of than you just believing because the God, one with the gospel comes many other things because of the spirit of God within us. But don't try to make all those other things the gospel. The gospel is believing in faith in Jesus Christ. Is the word being preached to the whole world? Yes. Has it been preached to the whole world? Yes. Does it need to be preached to the whole world? Yes. yes. Stop trying to figure it out. <laughs> Believe the word when it says, have they not heard? Yes, his word has gone out into all the earth. Oh, but the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then will come. Yeah, that's in Revelation that Jesus was talking about that angel. And then the end comes. But God's been preaching his gospel to the whole world all along. And that's why Paul was simply in that passage saying, God would never expect you to believe something he hasn't already said. He hasn't already said. I think what we're going to do is stop for tonight. We'll come back next week. We'll come back and we will look at verses 9 through 14 because we're going to look specifically at the prayer that Paul had for them. Now that he had heard of their faith and their love for each other, he begins to get very specific about his prayer. And folks, if you've even looked at those verses, you realize we're not going to get it done next week either. Verses 9 through 14. We'll see how far we get in those. Yes, sir. Yes, there will be Bible study. There, there's not men in motion, but there is Bible study next Tuesday night. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the fact that as we look at these passages and we wrestle with these things that sometimes go against how we've always been taught or how we've always kind of, kind of seen things. Lord, you are the one who brings us to understanding. It's not our job to argue to debate. Your word even says in 2 Timothy 2.24 that the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct in the hope that God will bring them to an understanding of truth. Lord, I know full well when I stand before people and say, thus says the Lord, and I teach that your word says in James 3 that I will be held in higher accountability of those of us who teach. And Lord, I don't take lightly this role that you've given me. But Lord, I also thank you for the fact that if true understanding is going to come, it's not because I said it. It's because your spirit has confirmed it with the truth of your word. And Lord, that's my prayer that we would begin to wrestle, we would allow your spirit to teach us, that we would never become proud or haughty or think we're smarter than others, because anything we learn is spiritually discerned. Who, whatever we have, the Bible says, we will only received. So Lord, tonight, we just want to thank you for the fact that you have made the gospel very powerful, yet very simple. And Lord, we just pray that we would begin to really believe that it is powerful in and of itself, and we wouldn't be ashamed of it. A lot of us have a tendency to be so because the world doesn't seem to like it. It goes against their flesh and their desire and the flesh's desire for glory and credit, points. 
Well, Lord, may we also rest in the fact that you are the one doing this work. And all you ask us to do is just open our mouths according to how you've gifted us. Some are planters. Some are waterers. Some are harvesters. Some are apostles. Some are prophets. Some are evangelists. Some are pastor teachers. Some are servant people. Some are mercy folks. Some are generous givers. Lord, there's all these different roles in the body that you have for us. Father, forgive us for thinking the pastor should be all of them. And Lord, forgive us as pastors expecting the people to be out there all doing the same work. Lord, help us to find your yoke. Because you said, come unto me and I'll give you rest and take my yoke upon you. Lord, may we learn your yoke because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Father, may we also thank you for the fact that <laughs> you're going to get your stuff done. We just want to be a part of being used of you. That will result in more fruitful labor for us in these days that we have here on this earth. We look forward to being back again next week to really dig into the things specifically that Paul prayed for them now that he'd heard of their faith. Father, we, we want to see these things because that's your heart's desire for us as well. We look forward to that time. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming.